If you have your Bibles, now that the bully squad has left, I can move up closer. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to 1 John uh, chapter 4. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, if you're looking for 1 John, it's toward the, the back of your Bible. Uh, I am, I'm very excited uh, this morning because we've arrived at uh, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, uh, and we get to discuss uh, one of my favorite topics to actually teach in the Bible. In fact, one of the major reasons that we've landed uh, in First John for what seems like the foreseeable future uh, is because uh, one morning I was spending time in this specific 14-verse passage, and I said, boy, I really want to teach that at Merge. And, uh, and so we, we get to respond this morning by listening to God give us His thoughts on love. And uh, he does this exclusively several times uh, when you get into the Bible. Uh, in fact, Song, song of Song, uh, chapter 8, 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Uh, we've walked with John a couple times now in this journey uh, where he brings it up. In, in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, and he gives us this indication that, that one is walking in the light when they are walking in love. In, in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, he gives this as, uh, he says, if you're walking in love, you give evidence uh, that you are a child of God. But now in uh, seven, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, he gives us love, he gives this topic its full treatment. Uh, he says, let's, let's just completely set the topic on the pedestal and let's unpack all of it. And uh, and there's a lot of places we can go uh, when we're talking about how we define love, especially uh, in this world. And I think that definition can depend on, on many different circumstances. Uh, for instance, let's just talk about how you uh, define love. Someone uh, could give you a definition and, and based on uh, their their current season of life could change how they uh, talk about it depending on their previous experiences of love, will change how they define it. Uh, depending on their expectations of what love is supposed to be, and hopefully one day they will experience, will change how they actually define it. Uh, we have a society where, where Hollywood will try to define it for us, and, and a lot of us are willing to settle for the shell uh, that they're offering. Uh, back in uh, the 60s, the Beatles were asked to write a song. And, and the topic was, hey, figure out a song that everyone can relate to. Uh, and so in, on June the 25th, 1967, uh, they sang a song and over 400 million people viewed it across 26 countries. And can anybody guess the name of the song? Oh, there we go. Yeah. Some of you were confident and the other one is like, uh, Yellow Submarine? I don't know. Uh I don't see how that fits into this, but thanks for picking up a context clues. Uh, but all you need is love. Uh, a universal need that we talk about. We, we search for love and we yearn for love and we at times we use love as an incentive to get what we want or a weapon in an attempt to control certain outcomes. And, and, and we know when love is right and we know for the most part when love is being cheapened. And, and so, uh, what we have this morning is something very powerful. 
we get to pull up a chair and we get to listen to God tell us about what love is. Will somebody write down and text me this week, get some stinking WD-40 for that door. Can we do that? All right. Chris, just take the door off the hinges. It's fine. Uh, I'm joking. Never, never mind. I now have... I said, your wiffle ball team is a disgrace. Um, so what we get this morning is, is we get to pull up a chair and we get to hear about God-defined love. And it's not given to us from His perspective as if His is one option of many to choose from. Uh, what we get to do is, is we get to walk in and we get to hear Him tell us how He establishes love, how He defines love, how He models love, and the treatment that He has uh, for us. And so, so this is one of my, again, one of my favorite passages. And if you don't like it, then I'm sorry about you. Uh, because it's one of my favorites. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are thankful and mindful of your great love for us this morning. We pray as we open up your word that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. That we would, in many ways, walk out of here, change people because we understand in a deeper way how you love us. And then as we respond to that, it would affect our relationships. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, All right, so as we make our way through these verses, uh, I want you to be very aware of the movement of God uh, as, as we kind of unpack them. After all, if we're to be people of love, which is what John has told us, right? He says, if you live in the light of God, you're going to live in love. You it's difficult, in fact, he will say it's impossible to, to love God and not love other people. And, and so, uh, so as we learn through the Bible that, that any love that we have is really just this reflection and a response to the love that God has shown us in Jesus. So, so we find this great declaration for understanding our motivation by responding with love toward God and carrying our love toward other people. And so, so what we're going to do is we're going to look through this passage as we work our way through it, and we're going to reflect on the topic of love six different times. Okay, so here we go. In chapter uh, 4, verse 7. Lawson, we got verse 7 up here? Thanks, sir. Beloved. Okay, so uh, good news for you. He's not calling you little children today. He's calling you beloved, right? And so what he's saying is, as we are part of God's family, you are loved. Not only by me, John, but, but you are loved by God. Beloved, let us love one another. So we find a command. This is how we are to live our lives. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is what I love about John, because you would, you would tend to think that if he uses the same word five times in two verses, he's developing a theme. He wants you to, to not be confused about what our topic is. And, and so let's remember something that we walked through a few weeks ago uh, in chapter 3. John asked us, as he was transitioning from God is light to God is love, he, he transitions this in chapter 3 by saying, let us consider the kind of love the Father has given to us. And ever since then, we, we've stayed inside this theme. Even Even last week, as we are 
instructed to be aware of the voices speaking truth into our lives. We, we do this as a consideration of God's love because those false voices will want to draw you away from the true love that God is treating you with. And so as we reflect, we pay attention on, on what John is telling us. And, and he tells us that, number one, that love has its origin in God. Has a, and our love for others is a reflection that we know Him. So he tells us that, that God has, uh, love has its origin in God and our love for others is a reflection. This is huge because he's given us a command, right? What, what was the command? Love one another. Love one another. And now he doesn't just say, do that and then walk away the way that a lot of us parent our kids, right? Clean your room. Why? Well, just clean your room. So he says, no, no. Love one another. And then in case you're wondering why, what's my motivation for this? He says, for love is from God. Love is from God. Love is created by God. Not by Hallmark, not by Hollywood, not by Nashville. Love is created by it. We simply need to look at the Holy Trinity to see this played out. When, when you talk about God the Father, we, He creates and He sets the terms of what love is. When He sends His Son Jesus, He embodies Love in the greatest and the most sacrificial ways. When, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings to us this constant reminder of our need to love and to be living in the light of love that He gives us these opportunities to put love actually into action. And, and now what John is doing is just repeating something that Jesus told us that we can find in, in John chapter 13. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you would love one another just as I have loved you. So there's a standard. There's a command and a standard. So I'm called to love you, but the standard isn't based on how we tend to tra- create relationships. The standard is created on how Christ has loved us. You are also to love one another. And then he says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. And so we're left wondering, okay, so God loves me, right? Uh, God loves me. We've talked about that all the time here. Uh, God loves me. But now the question is, to what degree? Right? Because can we agree that maybe in our relationships we have varying degrees of love? And that sometimes there's a degree of love where you say, that's too far, I don't have to love you anymore. I can cut you out. Like, you've gone too far here. So, we're asked, what degree of love has God been willing to put on display? And John's going to help us out. He says this in verse number 9. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So it's made evident, it's made clear among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. This is one of my favorite verses. And this is love, not that we have loved God but that He has loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we're going to talk about that word in a moment. And so, so number two, as we reflect on love, if I'm wondering about the love that God has for me, all I need to do is look to the cross. All I need to do is look straight to the cross. We, we can let that wash us from our guilt of our sins. That, that God has loved me in my worst moments and He's not indebted to me in my very best. You with on that? 
that, that God loves me in my worst of moments. And I can have some. And then He's never backed into a corner on those days when I get it right. He never says, well, I guess i got to love Him now because he, he took out the trash without being told. Right? God, God loves me so much to send the sacrifice of His Son to conquer our greatest enemy and death leading to sin. And he, He's done for you what you could have never done for yourself. And not just that, His, his love invades the moment of your life when you are hostile towards Him. When you are an enemy towards Him. Make no mistake about it. Sin is an affront to God. It is. It is always an affront to God. It's this declaration that He's not enough. It's, a, it's, it's that we believe that there's something that can be more satisfying than Him. And it's in that moment. It's in that moment when you look at Him and you say, you're not enough. He says, I love you so much. My love invades your ignorance. And so since this is true, and I think an honest question needs to be brought to the table, how can we respond to the great love that God has loved us and displayed in Jesus? And that's where we go, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, so he says, hey, let's consider this. If God loved you so much, then as a response, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us. And check this out. And His love is perfected in us. Number three, God's love for us is our inspiration to love others. God's love for us is our inspiration for loving others. And I think really any moment that we have in our relationships that, where we're struggling to love a person, it's because we haven't considered deeply enough or long enough or urgently enough about how God has treated us. I, th I think verse 11 may be the second most important verse in the entire passage, though I think 10 is probably the most important because it is the gospel. But 11 tells us, so let's, let's wear this for a moment, let's explore what it means, because this right here may be the biggest revealer in our relational conflicts. Because it says, it says, ask yourself the motivation for loving one another. And it says, because God so loved us. So it forces us to ask ourselves an important question that well why don't why doesn't this come more natural to us? Because can, can we agree that that's typically not the way we treat people with love? We again, we we talk about this quite a bit. We want to make love a transaction and so so if the other person has added value to our lives or that other person brings us happiness, then we are more willing to give them our love, but if that person wounds us or hurts us or fails to live up to an expectation, then our natural tendency, for some reason, is to want to withdraw that kind of love. And John says that's not the way that it works. If, if God only played by what is fair in our relationships, then we would all be in this heap of trouble. We would. And, and so, so verse 11 clearly says that, that we are called to live in and display love to one another based on our response of what, how God has loved us. And so, so living in love has less to do with the other person and more to do with your gratitude of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul in, in chapter um, 5 of 2 Corinthians, he puts it this way. He says that the love of Christ controls us. 
It controls us because we've been found in Him. And we have found Him to be our all-satisfying, worthy Savior. And He deserves our devotion. And, and so, so, so we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. And when we live in love, God is never absent because His love is put on display in perfect ways because He moves mightily in those expressions and those sacrifices and those acts of service. So now we get, we get to verse 13. It says this, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world, that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So number four, as we love, as we love, we walk in the Spirit and we proclaim God's love expressed through Jesus. As we talk about love, this is what we're doing. That if you really want to experience the unleashed love of God in your life, then you have to connect the dots and realize that this thing called love isn't just compartmentalized between you and God and not make a connection that there's a relationship between you and other people with it. You can't do it. In fact, uh, because God is relational and He's using you and He's using me to be part of His redemptive story. So, so genuine love is the mark that God is working through you, especially in those moments when you would rather not lash out in love. Especially in those moments. And I think this is one of the most important roles of the Holy Spirit. John just told us, as we walk in love, God's Spirit abides in us. Because love that does not help people see the love of God is not the kind of love that we're talking about here. And I guess we should have probably unpacked that a little bit. Are you saying that an unbeliever can't be a loving person? And that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying to the degree that God is calling His children to live by, they can't. They can't because we're talking about a different kind of love that's being put on display. That I'm talking about, I'm not talking about being kind for kindness sake. I'm not talking about being liked because you open doors for people talking about loving in such a way that, that people experience your treatment of them and they see God's care for them through your actions. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That you would love in such a way that people say it's undeniable that God has changed your life. Undeniable. And so, so this is a, a deeds and it's a words partnership. You, you love with your treatment of them and you love with your words to them about their great need. That's why we talk about the, the gospel is incomplete if it doesn't end with you talking about the good news of Jesus to someone. Just hoping that, well, if I just give them a bowl of soup, then they will understand their need for God. It doesn't work that way because they're just hungry. And so we find in the Bible that, that you can't just love someone and hope they stumble into the gospel. You love someone so that you can build rapport, you can build relationship enough to be able to talk to them about the change that you've experienced in your own life. All right, so here we go, verse number 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. 
And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Number five, God's love removes the fear created in our relationships. God's love removes the fears created in our relationships. Okay, so so verse 17 uses a big phrase. It says, the day of judgment, right? And you all hear it, the day of judgment. And then like there's lightning bolts and thunder and all that stuff. Uh, No, just me, gotcha. Um, And and it could easily throw us off in this, but it shouldn't. Because John's telling us that we can have confidence to live in love because in Christ we are like He is. Uh, so, so, so we die to ourselves in His death and we live in His life. And because this is true, God's love drives out the fear that's created by sin. By sin. So, so fear has to do with punishment and death and sin, but the love of God has rescued us from this fear as we believe in Jesus. So, so think of your most cherished relationships and the amount of love that covers them. Like, like, even when things are hard, there's this trust that's built that love navigates. And so, so you know that, that although there may be discomfort for a season or for a moment, that the love you share keep you tethered. That Colossians says that, that love binds us all together in perfect harmony. And this is, this is what we have in God. This is what John tells us you have this with God because He's promised that nothing separates you from Him through, through Jesus. You are assured. And so the result is that you get to live in this freedom created by God's love. You get to live in freedom. And so, so we use this freedom and we leverage it in order to show how great God's love is for us in all ways. And we've been captured by this love and it's so undeniable that it starts to transform you at its core. Or at least it should. If you, if you have come to Christ in the last decade and you are not more loving than you were before Him, you don't know Christ. Because it is impossible, impossible to know Him and not to be transformed by Him. So there's three more verses, and these these are important. Verse 19. This is huge. Don't read over it. Don't read past it. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not, um, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have heard from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, we don't like that, right? We don't like that part where it's like, well, must also. Well, that's rude. You can't tell me what to do, John. Well, he's mercifully telling you what you should do. Mercifully. Number six, love is a command because it reflects God's character. John says there's a, there's a danger in these verses in which a person is called a liar. And so, so the question is, what, what is the person being called a liar? What is he doing? Is it that he claims that he loves his brother while he secretly doesn't? You ever been guilty of that? Oh, everything's good, you know. And then it most certainly is not good. That's not what we're talking about, though, is it? That's not what's making a person a liar. What's making a person a liar is saying, I love God while having hate in our hearts towards our brother. Now, we can make a distinction here, if you would like. 
Because we could say, okay, well, who is, who is John really saying is our brother? We can, we can narrow the focus and say that he's addressing us that inside the church, that, that I can't say I love God while at the same time uh, saying I hate Mark, you know, which I would never do because we are bros. Um, Scott, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I can't do that, okay? So we could say that this, is, this conversation only fits inside the walls of the church and the community, right? But I think if you do that, you kind of ignore some of these other commands of, I don't know, this guy named Jesus, when he talks about how we should treat our enemies and how we should treat the people who, who come after us, the people who are hostile towards us, who hate us because they hate Him. I think you, you, have, to, you have to deal with that. But I'll leave that interpretation up to you. I'll let you decide if he's just talking about people in the church because if you've spent a lot of time in church, you know it gets rough sometimes. But I've, I've resolved in my heart that that no matter the person, that they are to be loved because my love for them puts the love of God on display. So regardless, regardless if we hug here at Merge and we wear the same shirt, regardless if, if, we are, um, if they are in another church across town, regardless if they are... Uh, boy, I could go in any number of directions. Regardless of the person. Regardless, because my love for them puts the love of God on display. And so my great desire is to play a role in helping those who are far from God find life in Jesus. And because of this, I try not to be surprised any longer when an unbeliever acts out in sinful ways. Because isn't that part of our issue with people that, that we don't like the most? That when, when people who are sinful act out in sinful ways, we're like, what in the world are they doing? And the Bible tells us it's in their nature. They, they know no better. So I don't harbor hatred in my heart because, first of all, it, it doesn't do anything but weigh me down. So, so I don't harbor hatred in my heart. My heart breaks for them because they can't see through their sins that they have been enslaved. And at the same time, I can't harbor hatred in my heart for a brother who sinned against me or against God because that traps me in this dangerous place according to verses 19 through 21. I can't do it. So, so I have to make the choice either to submit my life to the Word or choose to operate outside of it. And the track record, my track record says that any time I've decided to walk outside the Word, I've done nothing but sabotage myself. Anytime. And so the, the line that, that John wants to draw in the sand and force us to kind of decide which side we fall on is, is who do I want to put on display here when I'm in conflict? Who do I want to put on display? Do, do I want to put my wound on display and try to draw attention to myself as the victim? Or do I long to put the love of God on display by reflecting His great care for you and for me? Because, and we, we start wrapping this up, because isn't that kind of on display when we have hatred for another person? That we never have hatred knowing that we're the ones who have wronged them. Right? Is that, that's the way it works with me. Like, I'm always most right. Always. And John says, you can't do that. He says, don't do that. It's dangerous. It's deadly. 
And so, so here we come this morning. I, I'm telling you, I love these verses. I, I get exposed all the time in them. Like I, I had about a two-hour time period yesterday when it was just all falling apart. Um, like you ever caught yourself in a bad mood and then like everything that you were doing just, just compounded the bad mood and you want to wallow and you want to whine, you want to say, and I looked at Misty and I was like, I don't, I said, Misty, I don't know why I'm mad right now, but I can't figure out how to get out of it. And there was, I was mad at my griddle. It wasn't doing anything other than not doing its job. I was mad at a weed eater. I got mad at the kids. At some point, I'm yelling at Sweeney's kids. <laughs> and I had this, this moment playing out in my heart where God is like, why are you so mad? And I was like, I don't know. I just am. And then these verses start to come into play. And he's like, I want you to remember the love that, you, that I have for you. And then I want you to realize how you have not been operating in that love for the last two hours. And I was like, well, I don't know why I'm so mad right now. Because I don't care. I want you to remember the love that I have for you. Because it is paramount in the way you treat other people. In the way you experience the circumstances of your life. It is, it is incredible incredibly important you would understand the foundation of love is built on how I have loved you. And this morning I heard that. It is so very important. Because he knows better than we do what lies ahead. He knows better than we do what is currently going on. And so so we're, we're we're left again like we are pretty much every Sunday. This is, the, this is the kind of our model of every Sunday. We're left asking ourselves this question. Am I willing to put these words into practice or do I want to spend my energy trying to work around them? Which, which of those two things do I want to do? And in John chapter 4, 7 through 21, it is very clear about what to do. As we experience the love that God has displayed in Christ, we are to become people scarred by love. But not a scar in the way that we tend to want to hide them. A scar that you put on display and you brag about. You ever had a person try to brag about a scar that they received by doing something that was completely idiotic? I've been scarred by love in such a way that it is my privilege to talk about it. So I think, I think what we do when we do this is, is we find that the currency of love is much more affordable to us when we realize just how rich God has made us in Jesus. Because the more we understand that, what happens is you realize that you don't run out of love. You don't. You, you don't get to a point with your kids and say, you know, I've loved you all I can love you today. Even though we feel that at times, right? You don't look at your friends and say, hey, you know, 
I'll check in your account. You're empty. You don't have overdraft protection. Let's figure it out. Because you don't. You don't get to play that game. And the more we experience the love of God in Christ, the more we experience love and the more that makes us loving people. So the question is, do we pursue the heart of the Father? Do we put the Word into practice? Or, again, do we try to work around it? I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that You love us. But more than that, we, we thank You that You don't leave us wondering what love is supposed to be like and what it's supposed to look like. We thank You that You remove that option from us. And I pray that that this morning, if, if there's someone here that doesn't know You and has never really fully experienced Your love, that today would be the day they cry out to You. That they would come find me or they would come find some of the people who are open to praying with them. Father, I pray we would be able to continue as a community to bring our burdens to You together. Father, I pray as as we experience this Memorial Day weekend that we would stop and we would remember those willing to lay their lives down for our country. But at the same time, we would stop and remember the life Your Son was willing to lay down for us. We thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.